Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 104, and we are doing chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Paul, how are you? Excellent. Good to be back. Still glad to be in Rhythm of War. Great. Elliot? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like this first part of Rhythm of War is actually going quite quickly. We we are already a, a, a chunk of the way into the book, and, and things have been moving fast. So it, it's been a, a fast start. It has been a fast start. We have several things to talk about this week, even though only three chapters. We've got four or even five, four different point of views to talk about over three chapters. So without further ado, two words to summarize this episode. We'll start with Elliot. For these three chapters, I have freedom and captivity. Freedom and captivity. And Paul? For me, I have hierarchy and systems. Okay. Hierarchy, systems, freedom, and captivity. Let's use these four words and talk about rhythm of war. you want to talk about your two words i would love to Uh, my two words are actually a bit different my words have always applied to specifically story elements that we're talking about but this time it's a little bit different it's more so about themes or things that i anticipate we're going to talk about looking a little bit at our outline here i put hierarchy because uh, we get a good description of are different kinds of fused or uh, parshendi with the like fused regals, listeners, singers, like all this stuff. And I thought that was kind of a good word to summarize that. And then another thing which I'm really curious to see uh, is systems. And I put this because we kind of get a mention of our like Cosmere systems, like Nalthus and Skadriel. I think they may be by different names. But basically, that that's what it's for. There, there's a mention of that, which had me really curious to see, are we going to like actually learn about that some from this book? Or is that all just like the uh, Arcanum Unbounded content? Um, so it's got my interest peaked. Yeah, we will retouch on all of that here in a second. But Ellie, go ahead. My two words are pretty obviously tied together, freedom and captivity. I kind of tied in some of the story points we hit across the three chapters here. Navani is getting some cryptic messages about how they are capturing Spren and using them in almost almost sort of a threat or a warning to, to stop doing that. And then Kaladin... Kaladin is the most interesting here. I'm sure we're going to talk about this for for quite a bit here. Kaladin gets freed from his duty to the military, but it's in a way, I don't know. Is it freedom? Is it going to be almost a more of a more of a captivity for him to be held away from the battle? We'll talk about it, I'm sure. And then Venli, 
I actually, I really enjoyed chapter 11 with Venli quite a bit because it's starting to kind of let us get a glimpse into what her story might be here, what her role, where she's going, what she's trying to do, motives, those kinds of things. It seems like her prime motive, her goal is to free the singers from the oppression of the fused. She doesn't like the fuse kind of get all the say. And they claim they're doing it for the singer's benefit, but are they really, you know, that kind of thing? So I I appreciated kind of understanding Venley's goals here, which seem to kind of revolve around this. She wants freedom for her people. Yeah, all, all really good stuff. I'm glad you enjoyed chapter 11. That's our first Venley point of view chapter, and we'll be certainly getting more of her in the future. But chapter nine. It starts with Kaladin, starts the point of view of Kaladin, which is just after the Moash scene from from last week. Moash has planted the seed in Kaladin's mind that it doesn't matter how hard you try, you are going to lose everyone. And Kaladin is visibly shook. He gets back onto the fourth bridge on his way back to the Shattered Plains, and everybody clearly sees that oh he's not okay um he gets offered water like a dozen times by a dozen different people they are like here here's some stormlight you don't look you don't look well and so they keep trying to fix all of his problems and shove anything that might help um next to him and teft is seems to be the only one that or the one that successfully gets to sit down and talk to kaladin and Kaladin snaps at him and says, hey, I don't want to talk. Do, do not sit next to me. And Teft says, I don't care. We're going to talk. <laughs> and sits down and uh, gives him a, a quick little quick little talk about the the state of the Windrunners. So what, what did you guys think of the beginning of Chapter 9? I related with a little bit, kind of at the beginning, where I, I know I've definitely had those days where like people just keep coming up to you and like, Elliot, are you doing okay today? It's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like what, what's wrong? Go away. And then finally, when like the 10th person has done it, you're like, wait, am I fine? Like what, what's going on? Am I, am I clearly not okay? Am I, do I look tired or something like that? So I, I related with Kaladin there a little bit, but it, it tells you so much that he has so many people around him that, that care, right. That are going to actually come up to him and try and take care of him the way he is always taking care of all those around him. So that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so my big question going into this week and all the weeks forward, honestly, right now, is how is Moash's big, I don't know what you call it, emotional, mental attack on Kaladin, what's that going to result in? Um, and I think we're kind of seeing it a little bit. Like, I don't think this is like the, oh my goodness, this is the, the end of Kaladin's internal struggle with Moash. I definitely don't think that's the case. Right. Um, but we, we definitely see that it, it, things are wearing on him. Um, and people start to notice. Like, Kaladin, I think, also prides himself on, like, kind of not sh- really wearing his heart on his sleeve too much. I could be wrong on that, but that that's, like, the impression I've had, is that Kaladin isn't uh, forthcoming, really, with his problems or pain and stuff like that and so for people to notice i think is is kind of a maybe it's worse for him than he thought 
or than yeah. most people would think. He he understands the need to have someone that to be able to talk to, and so he's going to be there for everybody else, and he's not going to take care of that for himself. And everybody realizes, especially right in this scene, that he needs that for himself, whether Kaladin realizes that or not. So he's he's too outwardly focused at the moment. We'll, we'll revisit this in, in chapter 10. I will, I will probably talk a long time about chapter 10. Uh, through chapter 9, we go to Navani, who is in her space hover sphere orb. What do you guys think of her little flying airship thing that gets lashed across the sky? I read this and I was like, oh my goodness, this is neat. I can't wait to hear Elliot explain it to me. So it makes more sense, you know? <laughs> I I thought it was awesome. I thought it was super cool. I, I had to wear my, my aerospace engineering shirt today for, for this little Perfect. spaceship, airship that she's she's flying in. I could do a really long tangent about the engineering behind this, but I think it's actually pretty irrelevant to the story here. So I, I'm going to hold it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm going to keep in the bank my, my engineering chips here. And I'm going to cash them in later on because I'm willing to bet we're going to find something more fun, Fabriel-esque that we can do. That this thing is 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 fairly simple. It's just a you know wooden box that's getting lashed through the air. the The fins are probably the most interesting part of it. Actually, the fact that they realized that they had to put fins on it to keep it stable. You know, I could I could talk for a bit explaining why that's important to keep the center of pressure behind your your center of gravity, but. I'm gonna hold on to it. I'm gonna keep it inside. Go Google stuff if you if you wanna if you have to know. I actually did spend a good amount of time thinking about this because if there's four fins in my head, that it would spin like a like a you know whatever like maybe a football. Uh-huh. But it's actually yeah, it, the the you can get into it of why that's not the case. But it's still cool. I love the little little spaceship that she's she's flying in. I did also, I like this section with Navani as she kind of tries to unravel some things as well. She's got the stormlight blocking Fabriel with her, the one that Kaladin just encountered in battle and it drained him of his abilities and he had to fight that new fused guy without his powers. And she notices, Navani notices that this thing looks kind of like that pillar that's back in Eurythiru, that gemstone pillar that we've theorized, we've tried to guess about before that they can't quite figure out what it does. She, or so at least now, a, a portion of the pillar looks like, right. Look, looks like this Fabriel. Right? There's some sort of similarity, right? They're not maybe the same, but similar. So now, now I'm starting to question some things. We, we had kind of just assumed that that pillar like powered the city provided, you know, almost kind of the equivalent of electricity. Right. To the city is kind of where my brain has been thinking that's going to go. But if it's different, if it's a little more, I don't know, I'm not quite sure. But if it has similarities to this Fabriel, that that takes it in a very different direction. The The other thing 
that she's reading about or thinking about in this scene is kind of random. Soulcasters? She's like taking notes or just kind of theorizing about Soulcasters. And I kind of just jotted this down for, for later consideration, I'm sure. She just notes that Soulcasters are different than, than other Fabrials. And I wasn't quite sure I, I had appreciated this before. She explains that the now that she can see into Shadesmar, she knows that the Spren powering a Soulcaster is actually a, in air quotes, dead, like equivalent to a Radiant Spren. It's not the more like lower spren that power a lot of their other fabrials, not more of the more kind of equivalent to animals spren. This is this is a this is a people spren. This is right. a, a fully sentient people equivalent higher spren, but in the kind of dead state that we've seen before, the power of soulcaster. So I, I was thinking immediately to like shard blades. It seems like they're actually more closer to shard blades than they are like the fabrials that they put in their fireplaces to heat or they used to to pump water, so I kind of I jotted that down for future reference. That soul casters are different. One thing that stuck out to me, or something I've been thinking about with this, is this isn't a good thing to bring up because it's like I'm just saying that this doesn't make sense to me, and I don't know if there's an answer, and that makes me kind of sad. But so last book we saw our a crew of our of our people, specifically Adolin in Shadesmar, and he was with his sword's spren, who was a dead-eye, dead-eyes, whatever. Yes. Um, And she didn't do anything. Other than if you tried to draw her as a shard blade while you're in Shadesmar, she would scream. Right. Um, But she really did nothing. Until the very end, she actually kind of, like, helps Adolin out, right? She kind of saves his life, which was really cool, and I I was kind of waiting for something like that. But I still don't get how our dead spren are what they are in the physical realm. Like specifically with this and this, like the shard blades and the soul caster. Like I don't know. It, it just I'd never really thought about that before. It was just kind of understood. Like oh yeah, the shard blades are dead spren. Okay, it, is there a how question? how does that how, how do dead spren do these things in the physical realm? I'll raffo that. There is an answer to your question. I'll say that. Okay. I'm I'm really happy to know that actually because I kind of thought it was just something that was just like a law of the world and you just kind of accept it. But right. I'll I'll throw out my general thought on it. It seems like those types of instances are like a forced version of something that's supposed to happen with a radiant, like the the sword with the the spren and what's supposed to happen is <clears throat> the spren and the radiant have a bond where they share and they agree yep i need a sword now i need a spear i need a shield i call you you become that whereas the dead spren are doing that same thing only the spren no longer has any say in it and it's a it's a forced you are you are taking your spren you have in captivity and making it do like what you want to so now i'm kind of lumping soul casters into that category somehow i don't know how that makes sense but somehow no that does make sense i'm really glad you mentioned that because it like yeah that that makes way more sense it's like the kind of like dead tool versus like a live like assistant i guess helper right i think so that's pretty cool 
Do you guys remember there's a random paragraph in Oathbringer where Teravangian is talking to Dalinar about half shards and Lorgring Spren in and is that morally okay? We, we, we've had this question before, but now that we've understood that we understand that soul casters are radiant spren. We might have to revisit this because before Dalinar was saying, well, I mean, it's just a, it's just a heat fabric. It's just a fire spren. Nobody cares. Not even the other spren care, but if a fabriel has, you know, a, a wind spren in it or an ink spren in it or, you know, whatever people are going to care. Spren are going to care which ties us into the end of this segment. She's she's kind of musing on her on her soul casters here and gets an anonymous span read from a span read that was snuck into her uh into her ship and it goes it has a dialogue back and forth with her of you are a monster, you are a terrible person, stop enslaving Sprint. What do you guys think of this? So the immediate question is, of course, who is she talking to? Yep. Who is on the other end of this? And two, two ideas immediately popped into my head. One, a spread. I, I mean, who's going to care about you in, in capturing spread? Well, other spread. So they might be trying to do something about it. The other idea I came up with is a little more wild and outside of the box. It, it specifically said that the the script was almost illegible. It, that it is, it was hard to read, not refined, which to me implied, yeah, either you know a spren who can you know barely pick up a pen or or isn't used to using this language or or something like that, or what if it's an alethi male who has. It has just knows enough barely to be able to, you know, scratch out letters that it, it, he knows is is the right words. And the Alethi male that jumped into my mind was Renarin. We've oh, known Renarin okay. in the past to leave cryptic messages for people to tell them things like numbers scratched on a wall. So I was I was wondering if Renarin's taking kind of like a, a weird tactic here of like he feels like he can't approach her Navani specifically about this, so he's trying to send her like a, a cryptic message that she'll think is from the Spren or from somebody else and something along those lines. I'm not sure I'm quite I haven't quite sold myself on that theory because the person like calls her a monster. The person is like calling her out and be like, No, you're a terrible person. How dare you do this? That doesn't quite sound like Renarin necessarily, but the the method of communication, I could totally see this being Renarin. Or it could even be somebody that so, someone she's close to has like relayed the information of what Navani is doing to them, and then they. Or like, oh, that's really, really terrible. I'm going to confront her about this. And so she doesn't necessarily know exactly who it is, but it could be like they've heard of Navani. So. Mm -hmm. Good thoughts. Anything else for the mildly brief Shalon section? 
uh paul any guesses on who the span read right righty right writer is prediction time this is a this is a tough one honestly like i want to throw out something ridiculous but like i can't Nothing quite makes sense to me like Renarin does, but like kind of what Elliot was saying. I don't know that I thought too deeply about who this was. I thought it could be on my first read, I remember thinking this could be like an unmade or something like that who views Spren like the use of Spren as an atrocity. Um, and just trying to get Navani to stop it, uh, or someone in that classification, like unmade or like big spren or whatever. Um, you guys, you guys remember that big spren that Axes uh, observed in the bay? It's like this huge ocean, a, enormous water fountain spren or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like s- some that thing still in... confuses me, but I lie awake thinking about it. But it's okay. <laughs> that that one people hypothesize is an unmade himself. Okay. That's a, that's a whole nother thread to pull. Um, yeah, I was just thinking on my first read that this could be like a large sentient spren somewhere. All right, Shalon and Adolin are on their way back to the, or on their way back on their way back to Yurthiru from the war camps, and they are flipping through Ela's journal. And nice of Brandon Sanderson to kind of recap the last um, couple books for us um, in this conversation between Shalon and Adolin, because Adolin's, pl- Adolin's like the dumb one here, and Shalon's explaining all the exposition to him. And so Adolin's like, so so Ile was a ghost blood, right? And Shalon's like, no, the ghost bloods are after Ile. Ile's the Sons of Honor. And then Adolin's like, oh yeah, that was, that was Amaram, right? And the Sons of Honor are after Shardblades. And she's like, well, no, they're after your Thiru. So, and she, she explains everything and kind of recaps everything for him. So it mentions by name, ELA's notebook, Nalthus with an added A, Scadriel with an added A, and Taldane with a... Is, is it spelled correctly? Or is there a... Or is there a alteration i don't know anyway. yeah i'm sure it's spelled correctly trevor what'd you guys think of this like like you mentioned in your intro paul i was really interested by this because we're, we're almost in a situation where we like paul you and i know more about the greater universe than than our characters do at this point so here was a moment of like ah, they're discovering something that we kind of already know about. These other systems that are out there where we've, you know, read some stories and, and seen some characters from these worlds. My take on the the name spelling was this just seems like something where you heard the name and you wrote down, you know, what you heard. And so it's close, but it's not quite exact. My my interpretation was an Alethi hand is writing this and putting in palindromes 
Oh, trying to make it as you're, as you're writing, just because that's how your like your alphabet works. So you're adding in vowels to mirror other vowels because that's how your alphabet works. That's how, that's how I interpreted it. That's kind of what I was thinking, Trevor, as well. I I was thinking about how every time we see a herald mentioned, it's a different spelling kind of thing. Like there's Yezrian and Yezeriza. And I was kind of assuming it was just a like local kind of writing style and understanding uh, to to our people here. Um, so yeah, that, that was my impression of that. Uh, just to recap, make sure you guys are on the same page here. What? Where's, Nalth- where's Nalthus? That's Warbreaker. Correct, Warbreaker. Right. Uh, Scadriel is Mistborn, and we'll get there. Uh, what? What's on Taldane? I was trying to remember my my Arcanum unbounded to to remember which one this was, and I can't remember. Was that the? No, that was the like. I can't even remember which one. I know I remember that Scadrial was misborn. I think Taldane is. Was, was the that dark the dark planet? Um... Taldane no, was... is Threnody. Threnody is the shade planet. Taldane yeah. is white sand. Okay, that's right. That was a neat story. And then the one you're missing that we haven't brought up yet is First of the Sun, which um, our parrots were on. Mm. Are you guys beginning to get an inkling of why we stopped for Arcanum Unbounded when we did? So that, you know, little drops like this actually mean something to you? I guess that, that makes sense. That makes sense. I was kind of like, wow, we're really learning a lot between Oathbringer and Rhythm of War. Um, and I didn't... Like, right now, I'm honestly not thinking that, like, there will be that much in this book that's, like, world... Like, universal, you know? I imagine there'll be a lot of, like, neat like nods and stuff like this. Uh, but I am curious on what... like what we'll actually see from this book related to like Cosmere things. Cause I feel like it can't go too crazy. Right. You know, but, um, but I'm also not surprised. I'm going to use this to mention something else. If y'all don't mind kind of me transitioning. Um, it's, it's something that I found. And and so this is my like, yeah, like I don't think this is going to be a big deal, but I'm now looking back I've I've seen stuff that we've read before and I'm like, I didn't think that would be a big deal at all, you know? And then I read it again and I'm like, what the heck? Uh, and this isn't anything crazy, but I was flipping through Words of Radiance. And also, I feel like I'm now where Trevor sort of was when we were starting to read this and that whenever I started this podcast, I told several of my friends like, oh, y'all should read this book. Y'all should read The Way of Kings. And now they finally are like two years later. <laughs> And so, so I have a couple of friends who've been reading. So I've been flipping through old stuff to kind of like talk to them. And one of my friends is in Words of Radiance. And I read the, uh, the epi- epigraph, epilogue, yeah, epigraph to chapter 50. And it was just about will shapers. And I, I really wanted to share it because yeah. of uh, Vinley in our book, who we've kind of assumed will be a will shaper. Yep. Um, 
And so the epigraph from that chapter says, And now, if there was an uncut gem among the radiance, it was the will shapers. For, through, for though enterprising, they were erratic. And Envia wrote of them, capricious, frustrating, unreliable. As taking it for granted that others would agree. This may have been an intolerant view, as often Envia expressed. For this order was said to be the most varied, inconsistent in temperament, save for a general love of adventure, novelty, or oddity. Words of Radiance, chapter 7, page 1. Um, so it seems like our will shapers... In my head, that title sounds like a very orderly... group. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it sounds like they're going to be kind of sporadic... And so I'm just, like, thinking now, like, everything that I see Vinley do, like, how trustable is she going to be? And this is also assuming that she's a will shaper, because we haven't really seen any proof. But I'm kind of making that logical jump uh, here. So I thought that was neat, and I wanted to share that with you all uh, moving forward. I do like that. That does... That's an interesting glimpse into, yeah, what we might look out for Vinley. When When you read that, I was thinking, the word kind of in my mind was independent. It sounds like will shapers are kind of the do their thing kind make, of people. Make your own way. Yeah. Right. She's definitely that, in a position where she's going to have to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She's kind of off on her own, right? She's kind of in amongst the, the enemy, but she she appears very content with that. She doesn't seem to be, you know, eager to go find the other Radiants and join them. Necessarily, we we haven't seen too much of her yet, so we'll maybe that'll change. But it seems like she's very much kind of a fight a, against the current sort of a person where she's at. And some of that reflects in Timber as well, her spren, because Timber has met has talked to her and said, "I'm not interested in bonding a human because they betrayed us so long ago." So I, that's why I chose you because you haven't betrayed us yet. So he's kind of. Or she? I don't even remember. I looked it up. I don't remember what Timber is. Um, they're carving their own way there. Anything else for Chapter 9? One more thing I will mention on Shalon. And this wasn't completely driven by what we see in this chapter. It kind of builds on what we've seen before in this book. We've, we've already got a little bit of a hint that there's more in Shalon's past, in her history. And we get some more hints here in this chapter. I was going to read a couple and then spin this into a, a little bit of a mini theory or kind of a way I'm thinking this might go. Yep, sounds good. She's just talking to Adolin. They're just in the carriage, right? I think they're just riding yeah. in like a carriage here. This is in her head. This is just where she's thinking. What he would do if he knew the real her if he knew all the things she'd actually done. She'd already, she told him some already about her father and her mother and her life in Yaakov Ed, but not the deepest things, the, sh- the things she didn't even remember herself. How could she tell him things that were clouded in her own memory? And I'm, I'm terrified of this because we already thought we had the biggest bomb drop on us ever, that not only did she kill her father, we learned she also killed her own mother and now we learn that there's something more. There's something potentially worse 
that she's so terrified of in her in her past in her history so i'm racking my brain trying to figure out what the heck could be in her past if she's already killed both of her parents and i'm i'm realizing and i think shalon thinks about this too i think we've mentioned this before shalon and pattern have a very long history very long history she summons pattern as a shard blade when she's a child and kills her mother that way. Yep. And so I'm starting to wonder what if something like really big is kind of revolving around Shalon? What if she's a bit of a linchpin for like everything? What if all of this is happening because Shalon bonded pattern? What if all of this has kind of been dominoes falling after that moment when her as a child created that bond with pattern? We we even got a sense of this, maybe even as far back as Way of Kings, when like Syl and Kaladin were starting to have their initial interactions. They're like, oh, this is gonna start happening more and more. This is the the start of something. But but we've learned Syl and Kaladin were not the first, clearly. Yeah. They were potentially by years, years ago. Shalon and Pattern are already doing their thing. So what if what if Shalon is the center of all of this? What if somehow she's in the middle of this way more than we think? And I want I want so badly for like a herald to fit into this somehow. Did Shalon? I mean, we've already learned that Shalon has killed a lot of people. Did Shalon kill a herald? Did a herald like pass some sort of ability to her? Have some sort of interaction with her? What has what could Shalon have done? that is even more terrible such that Shalon thinks to herself, no one will ever love me again if they ever hear this beyond what she's already shared with Adolin. Like what could this be? Have I, before you go, Paul, have I shared the, the Shalon's mom theory with you guys? So yes, I don't remember it, but I'm pretty confident you've shared something about Shalon's mom with us. There's a theory that Shalon's mom is Ch- Channa, Ch- Chanarach, the uh, the Dustbringer Herald. And uh, she accidentally sends her to Braze when she kills her, and she is who breaks the Oath Pact. So your, your, your line of thought is completely supported by that theory, Elliot. Yeah, that lines up exactly with what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, I, uh, we've seen our characters who get spread are usually, or not just get spread, but kind of move in ideals, like grow in their ideals are usually met with very serious challenges and trials and things like that. And honestly, Shalon's childhood would bring it on pretty early. I feel like, you know, like... (laughs) So, so I wouldn't be too surprised if she was the first or like near the first, um, stuff. So that'd be crazy. But okay, so also I'm just thinking about this now with that theory. If Shalon had the shard blade to kill her mom, and her mom wouldn't the spren be coming back and bonding with people after 
the desolation is like started. So if that was the herald that started that back, that wouldn't like that wouldn't work, right? Maybe I explained that poorly. Does no, that make sense? I, no, I understand. And that's that's been a running question, and that we don't know the answer to is which comes first the the knight's radiant returning or the desolation like does the desolation cause the knight's radiant to come or does the knight's radiant coming back cause the desolation you know what like which one comes first the chicken or the egg we we don't know yet that's a good point either way shallan does seem to be very important i am kind of like racking my brain over what could be this big reveal, I'm on. It honestly makes me nervous from a story writing standpoint because we had that like huge reveal um, in Words of Radiance with her like killing her parents, and that was a real like honestly very impactful reveal. Like I really, I don't want to say I liked the the Shalon flashback chapters because they were very like gruesome and sad and scary and very infuriating. But like liked them as a story element. Like it was very impactful and like filled with like tons of emotion. And so I don't know how much we can keep digging from Shalon. Like right now I'm not that invested. I'm 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 very curious to see what it is, but I'm nervous. I'm like, I don't know what you're gonna how you're gonna go further than what you did. Um so something I do want to bring up. It's a little bit more of a tangent. Uh, Elliot, you can keep going if there's something else you want to say. No, go for it. I just want to highlight how Shalon as a narrator is, if you think about it for a second, maybe like fairly unreliable for the information she's telling the reader. So if you think about her shard blade back when she was little, as far as we know, ideals, that's what? Ideal three? And she's eight, nine? And then she goes on the ship and meets Pattern. And Pattern doesn't seem to be developed yet. And one of, and I killed my mom, I killed my dad. She's treating those as ideal two and three. Right? Or is that four and five? What like what are we what are we doing here? We have a shard blade. When she's nine, then she says, "I killed my mom." That's her, what, fourth ideal? <laughs> like in in words of radiant, like are, are you guys tracking what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at here? Of, yeah. Where is she on this timeline? If she's had two ideals and a shard blade back when she was nine, like what? Where what's happening? I mean, those—that's a big question we've kind of had for a while. But isn't didn't we learn somewhere or hear that light weavers like aren't the same? They don't have like five ideals, and it's just kind of like you're kind of just chilling. Like I don't know. I always thought there wasn't like distinct depths. Like Windrunner feels like a very finite in, in Skybreaker, right? We've seen very finite like one, two, three, four, five, and there's right. specific like words or sentiments with it. And with Lightweaver, I feel like it's just been this like vibe. You just kinda you kinda keep lying and doing your thing and <laughs> it works out, you know? 
Yeah. All light weavers know how to do. Gen- genuine, I don't know. Why? The the other possibly crazy explanation, what what if Shalon can go backwards on the scale? Be- because she's got some mental, you know, I'll say weirdness going on, which is kind of her general state, right? We, we've been introduced recently to the idea that what if she has memory loss? What if she actually doesn't remember? And she she says this, right? She doesn't even remember in that quote I just read some of what her past secrets are because she can bury them. She can kind of just almost isolate them from her mind, almost intentionally forget them, like completely forget them. What if she like can speak a truth to to achieve a level, but then if she forgets that truth or or chooses to forget that, does that drop her back? Does she go backwards? in the in the line there perhaps so maybe she was third ideal when she was nine and has gone backwards and pattern has equivalently gone backwards as well and so when she meets pattern on the ship he has regressed from where he used to be and now he is kind of relearning how to talk because he was injured or repressed or whatever by shalon maybe that's what's going on i'm actually totally on board with that because yeah, what if Shalon effectively kills Pattern yeah. by not thinking about him for five years and suppresses that memory, unbonds Pattern, basically, and then revives him once she starts understanding, oh, there's other radiance in the world, I'm allowed to be this, I'll, I'll bring him back, I'm allowed to do that. Um, exactly. Yeah, I like that, I really like that. I agree. My My first thought, which I think you can kind of, like, it doesn't, fully disprove this but my thought was with Teft because we found out later that he had a spren who had just been hanging out on like was it the second ideal and then he says his third yep. right um, and just kind of like reignited there um, but like that's what I was thinking about with with this conversation of like Teft left his spren kind of just by the wayside for like a while like a good while and it was just like the friend was still like sentient, just very weak and sad. Um, yeah, and I was thinking it would be maybe more like that than like completely regressing. But I don't know timeline of that. How long? I mean, I know we've never seen Teft like lash or do anything like that. Um, sorry, but that was my my thought with that. Like that in my head, that doesn't quite make sense. But also, cryptics and honor spring could be different. There's a lot of things there, or even like. Shalon seems seems different. It maybe maybe this theory could even just apply to Shalon, not even like other light weavers. Like the fact that Shalon can intentionally bury something so deep in her mind that she can't even remember it. Like maybe this is all, this is all theory, right? At least from Paul and I's perspective, is that she's she's intentionally forgetting it. She's intentionally burying it, as opposed to maybe like an ignoring. Like maybe if that spread is there and, and Teft is just ignoring it, maybe that doesn't cause something like this that we're theorizing about yeah i'm not sure so i i realize that most of our conversation hasn't actually been about our chapters but i have one more thing <laughs> i have one more thing i'm here for it keep going um i i remember i could i could be remembering this wrong wrongly this is going off of my memory of the early flashback chapters with shallan that she's like in her room or whatever and there's like this like glow from a box Yep, and I always remember that, and we were like, "Oh, it's like her spread or whatever." But could was that a dawn shard? 
Because we saw the glowing stuff from the painting in in Dawnshard, and uh, she uh, was Risen kind of like absorbs that. Did Shalon absorb a Dawnshard? Is that why she's so special? Plausible. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that theory, but really, really? I thought that was low hanging fruit. No, I don't. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. I have to go back and read that now. That's what I'm going to do after this. Something we go, could look for, for dis- to maybe. I like, I like this theory and that it falls implausible in my mind. I think one thing we could look out to maybe back this up is if we get to see Risen again. If we get to see her, and she all of a sudden is starting to deal with like mental stuff that she wasn't before. If that she's could, now four people instead of one. And, and maybe we'll not quite that extreme. <laughs> oh, that would be pretty it. obvious, right? <laughs> but but even something more subtle would, would lean me to, you know, in that direction of your of your theory there, Paul. If if Risen all of a sudden is dealing with doubts or depression or something some sort of mental struggle she was not dealing with before, could the presence of the Dawn Shard in her be playing into that? And then you could apply that to Shalon. I, that that would be some good evidence. So we, we, we need to meet Risen again and see how she's doing. I agree. And I, I feel like I'm taking Trevor's seat right now of like every time a fun theory is thrown out, he's like, well, actually, there's this which you didn't think about. Uh, but in my head, so so Risen's kind of struggle has always been with like being paralyzed, like crippled now, not being able to walk. And I feel like if there is that, it will just, like, magnify that. I don't imagine that yeah. there would be, like, big other things. That And she had kind of, like, the little, like, leadership, like, do I really own this ship? Like, all this stuff like that. Dude, does my crew respect me? I feel like we'd right. see the same problems, and it would be really hard to distinguish whether that's, like, a notable thing comparable to Shallan, because they kind of have their own things that they dwell on or, like, are recurring. True. So, it'd be hard. But I'm definitely going to go read and see about uh the glowing the glowing book or i don't know if it was that a book or a closet or something it's yeah it's but. a safe behind a painting i think there's like okay. there's like a tapestry behind on the painting wall. the painting no i think it's a tapestry hanging on the wall and it's like a hidden like compartment 